Welcome to the Clubhouse with Shane Bacon. I am your host, Shane Bacon. Got a fun one this week. Brandel Shambly of the Golf Channel jumped in, and uh, we spent a long, long time uh, just chatting about a lot of stuff. We talked about Tiger and Jordan Spieth. We talked about the year that's happened already and what we're going to remember about 2019. I asked him his most memorable golf shot he ever saw in person, and he's got a great story. He pulled it like that, too, I mean, as you would expect. But a lot of fun, uh, and we went a long time, so I just want to get right to it. Before we get to Brandel, I uh, just wanted to let you know about the all-new Pro V1 and Pro V1 X. It's been redesigned for more speed, more precision, more consistency than ever before. If you compare the two, Pro V1 has a softer feel, lower flight than the Pro V1 X. Pro V1 X, a higher flight with more spin and a firmer feel. That's the golf ball I play. Both models continue to provide proven drop-and-stop green side control, lasting durability, and unsurpassed quality. And good news, beginning in March, that's next month. That's not long from now, a few days. One day, actually. Both are going to be available in yellow. Yes, for the first time ever. Pro V1 and Pro V1X will be available in yellow for those that like to change it up out on the golf course. Prove how good you can be. Tee up the new Pro V1 or Pro V1X on your next round of golf. And last week, I gave my first Bet DSI pick of the year. I went with Paul Casey in Mexico. He finished tied for third, had a great Sunday. He didn't win necessarily, but a top five finish for Paul Casey. Of course, at Bet DSI, if you use my name, Bacon, you get a 100% bonus match using that promo code. That's more than double your money to start winning today at BetDSI.com. This week at the Honda Classic, I'm going with Sergio. Sergio Garcia is plus 1,400. He has played really well at this golf course. This golf course is tough, and he's played very consistent. He's never missed the cut. He was a runner-up here in 2016, and he's coming in in good form. Played well in Mexico as well. So that's my pick this week on Bet DSI. Sergio Garcia, plus 1,400. Use that promo code BACON. You get a 100% bonus match. That's more than double your money. I play there myself. I recommend Bet DSI. If you want to add some excitement to the golf tournaments and sporting events that you love, and once again, betdsi.com, use the promo code BACON. You'll get this limited-time 100% bonus offer to make some extra cash on the sports you know and love. It's only a game until you bet it at BetDSI. All right, let's get to Brandel. And we welcome into the clubhouse a man that said, damn it, I'm going to do another platform, Randall Shambly, who uh, started the Brandel <laughs> Shambly podcast with one of the best in the business, Jaime Diaz. I think you and I both can agree on that. Uh, it's yes. a podcast that's going to be out monthly. Your first episode, uh, you guys discussed Tiger versus Jack, the greatest ever. And uh, did you guys come up with a definitive answer? What's your definitive Tiger-Jack <laughs> answer, Brandel? I'll give you an easy one to start. Well, it's it's two questions. So it's who's had the greatest career, and, and that is by far Jack Nicholas. And who's had the greatest peak, which is five consecutive peak seasons. Jack and Tiger are interesting because they've both had two peaks, but the best tiger peak is by far the greatest peak in the history of the game. So it depends on how you look at it, who's played the greatest golf or who had the greatest career. Jack, again, by far the greatest career. It's not even close. Brandel, tiger, that's, by far. Yeah. It's almost too logical. Uh, you know, Brandel, you do such an unbelievable job on golf channel. Uh, one of the lead voices, you've really made a career out of, uh, you know, I'd say your own research, you know, diving into uh, the golf swing and the approach to the game. And I think that's why, uh, you know, for, for better or worse, if you will, I know people have sometimes said, why did he say this? But of course, a lot of fans love the way you approach it. 
it's it's really been what I love watching uh, you do on the Golf Channel and, and all, kind of all your platforms. I want to start out with 2019. I mean, it's been a really, I'll say it's been an interesting season. I mean, the first quarter is something that we're going to look back on, and I was just going to ask you how we'll remember it because we have a schedule change that we're still kind of understanding, not just as fans, but I think as players, we, of course, have had these rule changes that have, uh, have come up here and there. And there's been a lot of controversy off the golf course. I mean, it's been something that I don't think we're used to seeing in golf. This many things happen. And I think what we've lost is some of the results that happened on the golf course. You know, Dustin's had a great year. We've seen Rory step it up with the short game and, and really starting to produce these results that look like he's going to have a big season. So as you look through this first quarter of 2019, maybe in three or four years, what do you feel like you'll remember so far from the start of this season? Well, we're not hurting for stories, but you're right, the controversy. Uh, you know, a European event in Saudi Arabia was the new rules, the way they were written, why they were written, what in the heck the USGA was trying to accomplish. That's certainly controversial. Phil winning uh, is is quite something, but more than Phil winning, the fact that he's at 48 years of age been able to add upwards of seven miles an hour clubhead speed over the last two years is is one of the great, I think, mysteries and accomplishments uh, that I've ever watched or had the opportunity to sort of dive into. And then, of course, there's Tiger Woods. Um, you know, what's what's he going to do for an encore? Uh, Dustin Johnson, is he going to get back to the player he was when he won three times in a row before he went to the Masters in 2017? And will Rory ever again play golf like he did in 2011-2012? So, those are fabulous uh, questions, and then what in the heck's going on with Jordan Speed? So, any one of those you can spend an hour on. Um, so, take your pick. Well, and, and and getting into Dustin for a minute, I mean, I, I want to look at this more than just one week. Of course, Dustin played fantastic in Mexico, and uh, and he was he was head over heels better than the next guy who was you know heads down better than the rest of the field, and it was kind of a two horse uh, race there at the end. You talk a lot about the fade, and you talk about how. Fading the golf ball is the way these guys can manage the distance, I guess, situation. Now, I mean, Phil Mickelson famously won his first major championship where, you know, he basically went to the fade and said, I'm not going to worry about turning the ball over anymore. And then he wins at Augusta. And, of course, he's had a lot of success there. Just I want you to expand a little bit on what you talk about when you mention the drivers of the golf ball, the guys like Dustin Johnson who lean on the fade and use it as a weapon, which I feel like so many times in the past we thought, you know, the guys that bombed it turned the ball over and it would roll 30, 40, 50 yards, and that's where they got their advantage. Well, you know, look, most people will say that a fade is, is much easier to hit in the fairway, and they will pretty much assign all the advantages that a fade gives one to what happens off of the tee. But I would argue that, it is much more realized up at the green. The typical green slopes back to front. Uh, a fade, first of all, most of the time, it's it's a higher shot. Um, most of the time, it's produced by a, a more upright golf swing. So it has a higher apex, so it has a steeper landing angle. And because it finishes to the right, more times than not, a fade is going to land and stop short of pin high and it's going to finish off to the right. Now, that's significant because on a fall line clock, most of the putts are made not only from underneath the hole, but the further right you get. 
So, you know, from six o'clock, if you're dead even with the hole, you're going to make a, a lot more putts than you are from nine o'clock. But if you're at five o'clock, you're going to make a heck of a lot more putts than you do at six or seven even, and way more, exponentially more than you would at nine, 10, or 11. So over the course of a week, it, it's a huge advantage. But over the course of the career, it's no wonder that Jack Nicklaus and Ben Hogan and Tiger Woods and Lee Trevino and now Dustin Johnson and really scores of players, anybody that can hit the ball high and fade it, has a, such a huge advantage. And it's it's one of the reasons why we consider these guys the best putters, because over the course of their career, they've had far more easier putts than people who hit it lower and people who draw it. And that's and that's that's the game in a nutshell, really. Are you surprised when you see guys go through swing changes and they're thinking about flipping that? I mean, these guys that are trying to get more distance out of their golf swings, maybe trying to maybe maybe spend a little bit more too much time looking at statistics and they're trying to turn the ball over. When you see those types of changes going on, maybe in the off season, is it befuddling to you? Well, it's my it's my argument against a lot of instruction that that wants to flatten golf swings and it wants to uh, resist with the lower body because it just gives you less time. It it makes you less creative. It lowers your trajectories. It takes away your power. It takes away your spin, even coming into shots because you're not as powerful. It takes away your nuance. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I I harp against it all the time uh, because I think this is where, instruction has really missed the boat they've fallen in love with an aesthetic ideal and they've missed the overall point of the game which is to hit the ball as high as you can as far as you can as straight as you can so that when you get up to the green you've got a five footer up the hill for birdie and not a 20 footer down the hill for birdie and and that's that's the whole difference in the game and um you know that's the difference i think that's why you know, right now, look, there's there's a lot of great instructors who are very knowledgeable, but I think they have a permanent blind spot in that they have not learned or not played the game at the highest level, so they don't have the practical experience. Now, I would also argue that players that taught the game eons ago uh, were nowhere near as knowledgeable about the movements of the body. Um, so kind of what is happening right now is that there is a coming together of the mind. There is, I think, a better understanding of the movements in the game and, and with the, uh, the analytics of how to play the game, guys like Richie Hunt, um, players are getting and teachers are getting a better idea of strategies. And, uh, and I, I expect teaching to improve. It's already gravitating towards you know, less resistance in the lower body, lifting the left heel, and, and more upright golf swings. And, and that's, that's important. Uh, I thought it was necessary. It's one of the reasons I wrote my book uh, three years ago. And um, I think that's very important for players to play anywhere near to their potential. Is there an instructor currently that you would consider? I know we live in a world where we have to say something's the best, but is there an instructor you look at now and say, this guy is hands down the best instructor out there? Yes, Lucas Wald. I think he's the best instructor out there. Now people will say you're biased because you work with him. Well, I work with him because I think he's the best. When I was, <laughs> those go hand in hand. Yeah, I, I, you know, I. Nobody knows who Lucas Wald is. This is, you know, it, it's akin to finding. I, I never, when I would read those rankings of instructors, I, I, they'd make me puke. You know, <laughs> I, I like what, what are you ranking these on? You know, <laughs> pie in the sky ideas. It's uh, a cronyism. It was like there's no real criteria 
to decide who the best teachers are, which is, which is um, a, a glaring oversight. You know, the PGA of America is missing the boat hugely here. There's no way they should just randomly and allow others to decide who their best teachers are. It's just, it's ridiculous. Um, you can, in this age, find quantifying information to decide who the best teachers are. And imagine if you could find who they really were, who was really having the best impact on players. The world of golf would get so much better. Instruction would get so much better, and we'd beat a path to that guy's door. Because I promise you he'd be teaching golf in a much more holistic way, but he would also be teaching golf in a correct way. He'd be right. Uh, it wouldn't be all this guesswork, which ends up causing um, divisive debate. Um, I, I was researching my book, and I read everybody. I, you know, I go online. I look at everybody's videos. I read everything. I, 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 I'm on. I'm on the. I'm on the computer reading people's ideas about the golf swing all day long. And uh, I found, you know, a handful of people who I thought really knew the golf swing. Uh, look, and Butch Harmon is certainly one of them. No question about it. Butch is one of them. And Butch stands head and shoulders above most of his peers because he has a practical understanding of the game to go with years and years and years of, of experience teaching. But, uh, but, but I, what I liked about Lucas was he, he put um, case studies in his teaching. He actually documented progress of, of players. So you could see one doctor in particular that he worked with who went from swinging 103, 104 miles an hour to swinging 120 miles an hour. And when you begin to see all the, you know, he works with this Eddie Fernandez, a guy by the name of Fast Eddie. He's 48 years old, and he's picked up 10 miles an hour clubhead speed. Uh, and, and he won last year. He won the long drive for his age group. Um, um, and I've watched the progress with Eddie. And I know what Lucas is capable of. So uh, that's how I found Lucas. That's why I work with him. Now, there's there's a handful of others that I think are terrific. And I enjoy their work. But I think Lucas is the best. I, I'm assuming you're probably in the same camp as me, considering what you think about instruction, that uh, also ranking golf courses maybe doesn't make the most sense. I love the idea of, right. of saying Augusta right. is better than Pine Valley. And you're kind of going, right. how is this? how is this possible to think? And as you mentioned, to quantify a Cypress point and a national golf links and somebody say this one's four and this one's five. Right. It's like looking at a piece of art and saying, you know, <laughs> that is better than this. It's uh, it's personal preference. I mean, having said that, I, you know, I have Tom Dote's books. I read them. I certainly learn from them. And I would agree that there's, I can't imagine how you could improve upon St. Andrews or Cypress point, but to say that one is better than the other comes down to, a lot of subjectivity, but it also makes the game funny. Look, if everything were purely objective, right? You know, if everything were, then there's no debate, right? And debate is fun, and the subjectivity is fun. Um, you know, the, the there's there's good and bad with both of it. Lee, I enjoy a lot of what gets male players into the Hall of Fame. It's 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 a lot of subjectivity, and so that's how Freddie Couples gets in the Hall of Fame. Um, is it right? I, I don't know. He, he certainly was famous, and he was a hell of a player. Right. Um, but it keeps out on the ladies' tour. It's purely objective. 
And, and, and so they're like, well, there is no debate unless they meet these objective criteria. They don't get in the Hall of Fame. I don't know that either one's ideal, but I would rather have a little subjectivity just so that we – well, hell, we need something to talk about, don't we? For sure. And, I mean, one thing you did in this same world a year ago was uh, Dustin nearly makes the hole in one in Hawaii, and you talked it up. Uh, you talked it up for days, for days on end. And then, uh, you know, he did kind of something similar in Mexico. I asked people on Twitter this week uh, the best golf shot they've ever seen in person and the best golf shot they ever saw on TV. So I want to ask you the same question the best shot you ever saw in person and then the best golf shot you have ever witnessed live on television. Best shot I ever saw in, per, uh, in person was 1989, 17th hole, Chattanooga Classic. Uh, I got paired with this rather, rather tubby fella who I had never heard of before, <laughs> um, who was cutting corners and doing all kinds of crazy things. And all day long, I kept, you know, I was, I was like, who is this guy? Where in the hell did he come from? And on the 17th hole, he had 267, 265, as I recall. Um, you know, I, I I couldn't have smoked a three-wood and gotten it there. And he hit a two-iron that just went, you know, into the stratosphere and came down a foot from the hole and stopped. And I was like, okay, game changer. This is going to be the greatest golfer who's ever lived. And it was John Daly. Uh, I had never heard of him, never seen him. Uh, came from nowhere, um, and I had ne- I, I've never seen anything like that. You know, I played with Tiger a few times, and he had similar shots. But I knew I knew when Tiger I saw Tiger coming. All right, I I expected it, but I was just absolutely flabbergasted at watching Daly do that. Uh, greatest shot I've ever seen on TV. Well, gosh, I, I think I've made that pretty clear. I, I uh, you know, the drive that, that, that DJ hit on the 12th hole at Kapalua, you know, at the time I said it was the greatest shot I've ever seen, you know, and I, you know, I guess it's morphed into the greatest shot. The only reason I say it's the greatest shot ever hit is because I'm, I'm using objective criteria to define that. Um, there's certainly more uh, important shots that have been struck. And the moment made them more significant, no question about it. But from a purely objective criteria, um, as I recall, the average approach shot hit into the 12th green that day was something like 140 yards. So to see a 140-yard disparity between what someone had just did and what everybody else had to do um, by the number one player in the world on Sunday, on the back nine, um, for almost a tap-in eagle, which almost a hole-in-one um, was a tap-in eagle. I just thought I've never seen a better shot than that. So uh, statistically, quantify, I've never seen a better shot than that. So I've seen I've seen him hit, you know, the, the drive he hit on two, um, what was that, on Saturday at uh, Mexico was uh, – was stunning as well, but it was nowhere near the the drive that he hit on 12 at Kapalua on Sunday. I want to go back to the daily story real quick. Was that one of those moments where uh, I always say, uh, you know, I played mini tour golf for a little bit. I played with uh, with a guy who who just played really well in the PGA Championship last year named Ben Kern, and he short the, shot the course record one day when we were playing a, playing a practice round, and I was going, oh, my God, this guy's in a different league. Was that a call, your family moment after where you went, I don't know who this guy is, but make sure you remember the name John Daly. 
Definitely. You know, I, I played with him Thursday, Friday. You know, I think he shot 66, 64, maybe shot 68, 66, but he was leading after 36 holes. And I, you know, went into the locker room. I said, I've just seen, I've just seen something. I've never, never even heard of anything like this. I've never, I've never seen anybody do what he just did. Um, and so, you know, when he won the, the PGA championship, everybody else thought it was out of the blue. I, I, I knew exactly what was coming. Uh, you know, I didn't know that he had so many demons off of the golf course. Um, and if he, you know, if he didn't have those demons, um, there's no telling what he would have done, but it's significantly more than his win total and his two major championships. Yeah. When Tiger Woods says, um, if I, if you, if I had your golf game, I wouldn't have to practice. That's pretty much as good a compliment as you're going to get. That's what he said about daily. My, I tell this story before my buddy was playing a tight lies tour event one year and my buddy was a great player. I mean, he was a great collegiate player and had ever all the tools outside of the putting to, to make it on tour. And, uh, he played with this lefty and, said he was hitting this goofy cut, you know, 40-yard cut that went 310, and he had a pink shaft to driver, and he called his dad after and said, remember Bubba Watson? He said, just remember that name. That's all you got to do. And and sure enough, you know, that's that's what's happened. So it's it's definitely – there's been steps in this world through professional golf ranks where you go, oh, all right, well, that guy's probably going to make it. Uh, I wanted to ask you on the tour now, is this the most talented the tour's ever been, or is this the most knowledgeable players have ever been about their own – specific games well this is uh the youngest uh, and best the tour's ever been um you know i i, I absolutely believe in the saber metrics of a, of a fellow who recently put a book out called the whole truth um and you know he's able to quantify by using standard deviation uh, peak years of players going all the way back to professional golf in 1860 and and the the peak of players right now i mean it you know maybe they maybe they exceed their play right now but that is very rare that anybody would but the average peak age right now is uh over the last nine years has been 25 years of age um it was upwards of you know 30 years ago 34 years of age um and and typically in golf it's it's been you know 30 to 34 years of age and now it's it's drastically, it's almost a decade different. So we have younger stars and I, you know, I, I think you could argue that it's because the game is primarily about power and, and power is a young man's game and experience matters less, less when it becomes more about power. Um, do they know more about their golf swings? Um, I think, I think it's a very, <clears throat> it's a somewhat, yeah, I mean, it is, they, they, they should know more about their golf swings but they rely uh, on teachers um, a lot, you know, they, and I, I, I guess, you know, they can afford it. They, and, and being on the tour is lonely. So they hire a posse and they all come out with them and it, it makes the tour less lonely. I said more enjoyable and I get it. If I, if I was making $10 million a year playing golf, I'd probably have my instructor out there all the time too. <laughs> I probably would. Um, but I don't know that that's best for you. There are a lot of disappeared. One of the reasons I'd argue, and even if Bill Felber were here, the, the man who put the sabermetrics out, I would also argue that the reason there's unprecedented uh, youthful accomplishment in the game right now is because there are major disappearing acts for middle-aged golfers. Um, I said this the other night on the show. Uh, 
you know, if it's not disappearing, it's it's a decay. But you know, where's Anthony Kim, Hunter Mahan, Nick Watney, Michelle Wee, Yanni Sen, Lydia Ko? Um, you know, there is numerous players, twenty-eight to thirty-five. Um, Luke Donald. I mean, just it, it, on and on it goes. That that it, they've just instead of continuing on in this trajectory have just disappeared. And it's because I would argue of an overindulgence of instruction. Uh, and I, you know, if it's, if, if, if you've got people around all the time and those people are always learning and going to new theories. And the problem is, is that, look, I've been to these classes that they go to and the theories are not completely flushed out, right? They're in the embryonic stages and you go and, and they, they listen and they hear and they remind me of like young Christians, you know, who are just ready to go out and save the world. And, and, they, haven't, and they haven't been checked, you know, by modernity. And, and to, some of these teachers haven't been checked by, by um, practical knowledge of, of, of understanding the game and playing the game. And they pass that information on to these players and – it impoverishes them. And before you know it, they're gone. And so who's left? It's not wisdom. It's not experience. It's just youth. Right. Um, so, you know, there is, um, you know, I, I'd say the tour is more dangerous now than it's ever been before. The driving range is more dangerous now than it's ever been. I think that's the, it's the most dangerous spot on a PGA tour. Um, you know, it, it might as well be filled with lions and tigers and bears. Um, I mean, you go out there and you, your game could get killed in a very short period of time. Let's take a quick break to let you know one thing, and that is, do you know what is smart? That's kicking off 2019 by planning out which roles your business needs to hire for. You know what else is smart? Starting the new year off strong by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash clubhouse to hire the right people. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates for you. Its powerful matching technology scans thousands of resumes to identify people with the right skills, education, experience, and actively invites them to apply to your job so you get qualified candidates fast. That's why ZipRecruiter is rated number one. That's the top. That's the best you could be by employers in the U.S. And this rating comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot with over a 1,000 reviews. And right now, my listeners, that's you, can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash clubhouse. If you love the show, show your support and go to ZipRecruiter, ZipRecruiter.com slash clubhouse. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash clubhouse. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. And I also wanted to let you all know about Robinhood. It's an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, cryptos, all commission-free, and they strive to make financial services work for everybody, not just the wealthy. Robinhood is a non-intimidating way for start market newcomers to invest for the first time with absolute confidence, and it's really, really easy. And I recommend it because there's no commission fees. I mentioned it's simple, easy to understand charts and market data place for a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. And of course, the web platform allows you to view stock collections. That'd be like entertainment or social media. And you can analyze, you can have analysts rating to buy, hold, sell for every single stock. And you learn by doing it. Yes, you actually learn something by doing this at Robinhood. Robinhood's giving listeners a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help build their portfolio. All you have to do is sign up at clubhouse.robinhood.com. That's clubhouse.robinhood.com. 
Com. All right, back to Brandon. Yeah, it's it's you you brought up Butch Harmon and, and one of the things I loved the story he had in the latest golf digest about Seve and Seve was getting all technical and uh he basically said he went and stood, you know, twenty feet in front of Seve and said, Hit cuts and draws around me. You know, and he goes, No, Butch, I'm gonna hit you. And he goes, No, no, no. Hit a cut around me right now. And he did it because it was, of course, that was his talent. He let his talent play through. And and one thing I find so interesting about golf, especially the current landscape of professional golf is golfers forget that there are times where you're going to go in a slump. That's just the game that we play. It's like if they have a month of bad play, they're going to change clubs. They're going to change putter. They might change caddy. They're going to change instructor. They're going to try to do something different. Instead of just reminding themselves that at some point, if you're a massively talented player, you'll probably get it back. And I mean, I think that's the good thing we are seeing with Rory this year is Rory actually changed good stuff in his life. I mean, he changed schedule and he knew he was going to get backlash for it. And he's basically playing events that he hasn't played before, maybe to get a little bit of a fresh start. And we're seeing a Rory that's playing golf. Like we saw Rory play to at least to, 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 to the B plus a minus level when he was the most dominant player in the world. And, uh, and I do find it interesting that it does seem like if it's three or four weeks of bad golf, I got to fix something right now. That didn't seem to be the case. You know, when you were out there playing, Guys, I feel like for the most part understood that it'll it'll change at some point. Something's going to flip, and and I'll get it going. That's a good point. Really good point. You know, it's players are tired. You know, look if you have a negative thought, it's terrible. It's like no, no, that's not terrible. Negative thoughts are normal. Um, they're absolutely normal. They come and they go. Um, obsessing over them is abnormal and wrong. Um, you know, it's 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 you know just let it go you know it'll 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 take care of itself it'll it'll just evaporate on its own but if you obsess about it then then it's 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 less likely to evaporate right. you're you're not you're not being you're not being zen um to get uh, a little eastern on you but but uh but yeah as it relates to golf swings uh, i i do think that there is a um a hyper reaction you know there are helicopter teachers everywhere on the range they're helicopters and they're they're hovering and i get it you know there's they've got a lot to gain from success um and not much to lose the tour players have everything to lose um so you know and it's 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 much harder to work things out on your own when you're used to just turning and going what what did i do there um you know so you know, look, it's 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 not like I'm saying the good old days were better. I'm right. just saying that the golf swings were better. You were pretty critical uh, about you were pretty critical about Tiger last week with his approach uh, to the golf course, uh, and I agreed with you 100. percent I I felt a little like we were watching what a lot of us thought we might see with Tiger when he made this latest comeback a year and a half ago, where. Uh, you know, the driver had always been his Achilles heel, and maybe he'll just lean on long irons and just get the ball and play and, and hope that his amazing iron play w- will kind of save him. Um, that was a little of what we saw last week. And, and were you surprised? Was the most surprising part that there wasn't a flip at one point, you know, you're six, seven, eight shots back going, I better start beating driver because who cares if I finish 50th? Yeah, I think at least my take on it was a, a, a Tiger was spoiled. Uh, by the success that he had in a generation that was nowhere near as complete as this one. You know, when he hit iron off of the tee and won at Hoylake, um, the players that finished closest to him were DeMarco, Ells, Furyk, and Garcia. 
and none of them were even close to complete players. They were nowhere near the drivers of the golf ball that Dustin Johnson and Rory McIlroy are. From the beginning of the strokes gain era, 2004 to 2011, the average leader of strokes gain off of the tee gained 0.8765 strokes around. Okay, the average leader since 2012, the average leader has gained 1.17 strokes per round. You're talking about 30% better, 30 a third more strokes gained with the driver. Now those that these drivers that I'm talking about, they're also phenomenal iron players, and they're better putters. Garcia was not a good player, a uh, good putter. Excuse me, he's a great player. He's not a good putter. Okay, um, Furyk wasn't a great driver of the golf ball. Uh, Els wasn't necessarily a great driver of the golf ball. He had a fabulous short game, and from time to time, he wasn't a great putter. Certainly wasn't in 2006. DeMarco wasn't a great driver of the golf ball, but Tiger could beat them because they were not complete players. Right. In this era, the players are complete. Dustin Johnson is a fabulous putter. Uh, Rory is is miles better driver than anybody that Tiger would have faced. Miles better. Uh, and he has the potential to be a miles better iron player, and he's putting better now than he ever has. So when you start to consider uh, who Tiger is playing, he cannot – one, he's older than he was in 2006. He, he can't play an iron game against this group of players and expect to succeed. Uh, and the fact that he was hitting irons off all these holes, one, it told me two things. One, that he had no confidence in his driver, which is fair enough, right? If you've got absolutely no confidence in your driver. Why hit it, right? Why hit it, okay? Because it's a very tight golf course. Um, all right, so I tried to get my arms around that, but I thought, you know, it, it, it looked to me like at Genesis, he drove the ball beautifully. Um, you know, he, he hit marvelous drives. It's like, I don't know where the lack of confidence would come from. Uh, it seemed to me he had every reason to have a decent amount of confidence in his driver. Um, <clears throat> the golf course was extremely tight. And I, you know, I, in my mind, why else? would he be hitting iron unless he thought it gave him his best chance to win? But there's just, my point was he's got no chance to win because the people at the top, Dustin Johnson and Roy McIlroy can drive the ball miles better than Tiger ever drove it, by the way. And miles better than anybody that Tiger would have ever faced in his generation ever drove it. So he had no chance to win zero, absolutely zero. And people said, well, he still led the field in strokes gain approach, so his strategy worked. I'm like, you guys have completely lost your minds if you think he hit his irons anywhere near as good from 200 yards out as he would from 100 yards out. If he's the greatest, if he was the best iron player there that week, I just imagine how good he would have been from 100 yards out, which is where Dustin and Rory were. Uh, perhaps Tiger would have been able to overcome a poor putting week for him, but. And, and again, people are like, well, it was his putting. I'm like, no, no, his driving was worse than his putting. So, you know, and, and I'm saying this, and Tiger finished 10th. So, right. look, he's playing great. I mean, it's good to see. But 
his stated goals of beating Jack or winning more majors or, you know, there it's, it's important to, to sort of put into context the, the struggles that Tiger's going to have to beat the game's best players right now. Um, you know, right now, from what I've seen, he can't get to number one in the world <clears throat> because I don't, you know, Rory looks like he's trending in a great spot and I don't see Dustin going anywhere, but, but getting a, a, a lock on number one. And, and, you know, if he, if he wears some sticky socks in Augusta so that he can get down the socks that, or get down the stairs. That good way. grip on the bottom for goodness sakes. Right. They got to make what are those, the yoga socks. Yeah. Let's get him some yoga. I, socks. I'm with you. I'm with you. Get a sponsorship. You know? He can put that on the other sleeve of his shirt. I'm down for it. Let's, so let's make sure he is a hundred percent healthy. I mean, what's, what's interesting about the, your point you bring up with tiger and driving the golf ball. And I go back to what I was saying is I believed this was a little of what we were going to see with Tiger because he was struggling so much off the tee the last time we saw him out before he took a break. Why would you go play? And I know it's a WGC event. I know there's no cut. And I know it's important for all of the reasons that these guys care about that I don't think the general public really cares about world ranking points and, and, and the early season FedEx stuff. Why would you go play a golf course like this knowing that if you're not confident with the driver – and you're not going to hit driver everywhere like some of these other guys are, you really don't have a chance to win, and that's been his stated goal his entire career. Well, that's a good question. Um, I, you know, I look at what he did at the Tour Championship, and I think I don't know what he did at the Ryder Cup. I don't know where that came from. I don't know about the Tiger Phil fiasco. Um, and the hero, you know, who knows? All I know is he drove the, the ass out of it <laughs> right. at the Tour Championship. I mean, he, he absolutely, uh, it was, it was just about as good as I've seen him drive it in, uh, 15 years. So I thought that that's, that's, that's the game that I would see. It wasn't quite there at farmers. It was, it was, he drove the ball nicely at the Genesis. Uh, he didn't drive it great. It wasn't at the top of the food chain. It wasn't Bubba Watson or Dustin Johnson or Rory, but it was, it was, it was good enough for him considering how good his iron play is and from a scheduling standpoint you want to play i would imagine you'd want to play two weeks in a row because that's how you can really test how good your game is you know you've you've practiced for a while you get there the first week you you get out of practice mode into play mode and by the second week you're fully into play mode um so it makes sense to play two weeks in a row if he just skipped mexico that means he'd have had what uh, two weeks off before he goes to, cause there's no way he was going to play Honda and then go play Bay Hill and the players. He wasn't going to play three in a row in the run up. Um, so, you know, it made sense from a, a strategy standpoint. It made sense from a scheduling standpoint, but you're right. It wasn't the best golf course for him um, given his reluctance to hit driver. Um, you know, I mean, and you did think you'd think though, he could look at that event statistically it's been one out of the rough uh, the first year dustin johnson you know wasn't particularly straight phil mickelson wasn't straight um and you'd have thought he'd have been more aggressive just based upon you know what the stats have said the golf course allowed not exactly the start you want though if you're tiger <laughs> first swing of the of the week and you get out of bounds you maybe you get it maybe those demons even are hard to leave the greatest uh maybe the most Man, dominant player of all exactly. time that's a hard, that's a tough start that is a tough start. I, you know, I, uh, 
you know, I, I think it caught Tiger off guard. I mean, I don't even know if he knew there was OB over there. Right. Because, you know, it was like he probably played a practice round and just zipped it right up there around the green. And, you know, he wouldn't have thought the shot was very hard. It was a bizarre, though, the, the introduction that Tiger got. Um, look, I'm, 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 I'm giving Tiger Woods a pass because I feel like the introduction that he got was so off-putting. It was so off-putting. The announcer screaming, Tiger, 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 Wood. I mean, it was like Tiger laughed, right? It was funny. I'll give the announcer that. It was clearly funny. The guy knew what he was doing. He had a great voice. It was fun to listen to. But it didn't quite work out because Tiger laughed. Everybody laughed. Never seen Tiger quite like that. Maybe other than the Masters or the uh, Tour Championship where Phil said, all right, all right, all right. I, I was trying um, uh, to think when you said that. I, I would love to remember, and I can't remember. I would love to know where Tiger hit that tee shot when Phil stopped the announcer as he was uh, as he was going through Tiger's yearly accolades. Right. Well, I can dig it up pretty quickly. Um, you know, I, I can find it pretty darn quickly. That was uh, the Tour Championship. I think it was. I'll find it. I'll get back to you. Yeah, but, it must have uh, been 01 or but, something. Uh, yeah, but, you know, his golf swing was so much better then. Um, you know, I mean, look – We've all lowered the bar. I mean, it's Tiger Woods, and we're happy to see him playing. But, you know, I know Tiger wants to swing the club like he did. Well, okay, he's not going to swing it as fast, but he's still pretty close. But he's still – he doesn't swing the club anywhere near like he used to. You know, he's still – he just hangs left, and he slides. And it's just nowhere near as good. It's a good iron swing. But when you want to hit a driver, man, you got to get behind the ball. You got to give yourself room to move into it. Well, the thing is, he doesn't ever get behind it in his backswing with a driver or three wood or five wood. And so he, when he slides into it, the club drops under and he's got to flip. And that leads to all kinds of. You, you go look at the disparity between his strokes gain off of the tee and his strokes gain approach. And I don't know how it hasn't occurred to him that it's like, okay. The move I have with my driver does not work. What do I need to do? And all he needs to do is move off of the ball, get behind it so that he can move into it without being past it, so that he can he can move into it and rotate. Now he moves past it and he stalls. And it leads to all kinds of chaos. And you know, I, for the life of me, I don't know why he doesn't do it. Well, Brandall, I want to ask some personal questions. Uh, you just uh, moved to Florida from Arizona, as I'm looking out on a, just a beautiful Arizona morning. By the way, I don't want to I don't want to rub that in too hard. But <laughs> yeah, you're rubbing it in. <laughs> I want to ask. Give me give me your uh, your pros and cons. The pros about moving to Florida and the cons about leaving Phoenix. Because I don't want everybody to hear this, but living in Phoenix is really awesome. By the way, just people. I don't think people know that. <laughs> so give me a couple of your pros, the things you're excited about. And maybe a couple of the things you'll miss about Arizona. I know you'll be well, back first sometimes. Of, first of all, I'd love to meet the person that called Florida the Sunshine State. I mean, that is the greatest. <laughs> it rains sales every job. day. It's it rains every day. <laughs> every day it rains here. So it is much, much harder uh to practice. It's much harder to to predict that you are going to practice. I cannot tell you how many times I've driven to the golf course, get there and lightning storms just descend upon the place in biblical fashion. And you sit there and you're like, well, I guess I'll go home. Uh, Arizona indoor, is indoor the practice. sunshine state. That's okay? right. I agree with Arizona you. Arizona is the sunshine state. You could say that. Florida, I don't know what Florida is. It's the, it's the 
humid state. Let's call it that. Florida, believe it or not, has warmer winters than Arizona. So if it's not raining, which is rare, chances are it's going to be it's going to be much warmer than it is in Arizona. So you can get out early in the morning here and practice a little bit. Um, what's great about Florida? Florida, you get wind, which is it's good to practice in. You know, the weather was almost too good in Scottsdale when I lived there. I'd go out and practice, and I'd think, look, I mean, anybody could hit beautiful shots out here. And I think that's one of the reasons why Arizona in general has produced so few great golfers, um, if any. I mean, you know, I mean, Billy Mayfair and Heather Farr. Um, other than that, yeah, tour pros, after they've learned the game, move there because of the weather and the lifestyle. But Arizona in general produces almost no great players. Uh, the weather's too good. Uh, you know, Florida's produced passels of great players. So has Arizona. I mean, uh, uh, Texas, not Arizona, but so has Texas, places where it's windy. So it's a much better place to go out and test your golf game because, you know, I played the other day. The wind was blowing 30, 40 miles an hour. It's like, good gracious, you got to pay attention. It's like, if, you know, I mean, you've got a shape shot. Right. you got to hit them down. you got to hit them up. I mean, it's it's a mean place to play golf a lot of the time. So, um, that'd be my take. Uh, but yes, you're talking to a man who represented Scottsdale for about five or six years as the best place to play golf in the world. And, and when they, when they came to me and asked me to do it, I was like, this is the easiest job I've ever had because <laughs> that's the absolute truth. You're going to pay me for this. I'll just tell me? you, I'll just tell you this. Right. I would go make these commercials and they're like, you know, we have this script. And I'm like, I don't need a script. Just turn the camera on. I'm going to tell you how great this place is. It's 74 and no wind, and the greens are perfect. Yeah, this is a decent place to golf. Right. It's the same temperature in your living room. And, and by the way, the wind's blowing the same speed in your living room. It's, it's, and the grass is green. And the, I mean, it's so green, and it, it's perfect. I mean, it, I miss the hell out of Scottsdale. I really do. I miss it so much. We, uh, and when I go there, I just – I can't get enough of it. You know, we will hike in the morning, we'll play tennis, we'll play golf, we'll hike in the evening, we'll go to our favorite restaurant and eat too much and get home and go, I can't wait to get up and do it all again tomorrow. <laughs> you bring up, by the way, I know, I know you're a guy that deep dives, into, deep dives into stats. Something that I think would be interesting, hearing you talk about Florida and the wind, is how pros games have changed moving to Florida. You know, you get a lot of guys internationally – that moved to Florida, and I wonder if it's if it's improved their well, game. Well, it's interesting. Again, to grow up here is one thing, um, but you know, if you're a historian, you'll know that Nicholas moved here in 1967, right? And his game kind of fell off in '67 to '70. And I, you know, I mean, there are a lot of circumstances that that were involved there, but his golf swing changed a little bit. Um, he was he snapped his left leg from 62 to 67 66 he uh you know he was much i would i would imagine much much faster through the ball because he was behind it and he snapped his left leg but beginning in 67 almost exactly when he moved to florida he had more sag in his left knee and more slide through the ball and i suspect it was to keep the ball down because he was probably practicing when he was practicing in Florida, it's windy as hell, and you just get beat up. That, that's a, an amateur theory of mine. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you're right. Uh, there should be um, 
I should do a little work on on the the games. Do they get better or do they get worse when guys move to Florida? Um, in general, I'd say you know it's it's a it's a good place to prepare to play the tour um, because it does you know it does get you ready for all of the conditions. Um, but if you uh, if you want to work on your golf swing, I can't think of a better place in the world than Scottsdale because there's nothing out there that makes you go I got to hit a shot. It's like let me just make a pretty golf swing here. Yeah, I was I was at dinner last night with a with a buddy of mine uh, and his wife and my wife and we were talking about Arizona and and uh, we were talking about uh, I was mentioning I grew up in East Texas and I was mentioning this tornado situation I was in one time where my parents just didn't wake me up and uh, I, this huge tornado blew through and I, and I was kind of just par for the course because we had them a lot and I said there's there's no natural issues in the state of Arizona you might get a dust storm you might have to clean your pool like twice in the monsoon season and outside of that right uh you're all thumbs up you uh you gave it a go last year uh on the champions tour you, you played in the senior open you mentioned late last year you were going to try to go six events or so this year is, right. is that still your goal that is uh in addition to you know i'm i'm trying to get in a handful of events but uh, i'll try to qualify for the u.s senior open and the senior open um so the senior open should be quite quite interesting because I'll finish covering the open in Ireland and I've got to get to Scotland by the next morning to play in the senior open qualifying. Now I think I can do it. I think I've figured out how to do it. Um, but, uh, but if everything goes right, you know, if everything went just right, I'd play eight events this year. Um, which means I am going to be sore and sleepy because I, I kind of burn the candle at both ends. I stay up late uh, doing research and I get up early to go practice and hit golf balls and go to the gym. Um, so I don't know how long I can maintain this, this, this lifestyle, but, uh, but, uh, but it's, it's fun. You know, I, uh, I, you know, I'm, as soon as I hang up with you, I'm going to hit golf balls and um, you know, I, I hadn't hit any until yesterday. I hadn't hit any in, uh, over a week and I was a complete chop yesterday uh, early on and then and then I you know I got I got going all right but now I have in my mind all these things that uh, <laughs> that I need to address today so I can't wait to get out there and get after it uh, I'm gonna get you out here then I'll let you get to your range balls here in just a couple of minutes I got two more things we're gonna do and then I'll let you go the first thing and you, you mentioned it. it to start I, do, I just want you to give me a couple of minutes uh, on Jordan Spieth. And what I'm going to ask you is, uh, and I mentioned this last week with Jeff Shackelford, Spieth's 25th in the world now. He's had just one top 10 worldwide since the Masters last year. And uh, and he's making, th the problem I'm seeing more than anything is, is the big numbers. You know, when people make a lot of big numbers, that's a red flag for me. I think he's made nine doubles or worse this season, including two or more in four straight events, his last four events. This can't just be ball striking with Jordan Spieth at this point, right? I mean, at some point, it's a little bit between the years. No, it's ball striking. Uh, it's his golf swing. His golf swing is look. It's stripped of a lot of the athleticism that he had. You know, he used to have a great trigger move to get the golf swing going. Uh, his trigger move is almost non-existent. Uh, his golf swing is uh, much much shorter uh, than it was. So he doesn't have the time transition to let things gather. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's not as deep into his right hip. Um, the golf swing's not in the same spot at the top of the clubs, not in the same spot at the top. 
uh, doesn't hang the way it used to. Um, it used to have a little, just a hint of a cup uh, in his left wrist at the top, and the club hung beautifully right down the line. Now it's it's more laid off. He's got more of a bow in his left wrist, which puts his right arm uh, at a more uh, acute angle um, and in a bad spot to begin the downswing. I mean, you put all those things together. I mean, look, they, they might have happened to him incrementally. Um, but, I mean, that's that's how people go broke, right? incrementally. And then one day they wake up and they're broke. It's like... And so, you know, this has been an incremental slide in the in the wrong direction, and all of a sudden now, then he's got he's got you know four or five things that are. Look, I think he could fix them in an afternoon. I really do. But, but in my opinion, uh, his golf swing has just been stripped of of the athleticism that made it. I, I've always thought his golf swing was one of the best on tour, but it's not now, uh, not at all, and. Uh, it's, uh, it's, look, I mean, you can still turn it around, but it's, it's, it's three alarm fire right now. I mean, it's, it's warning time for sure. All right. Last thing I'm going to do, I'm calling this get to know Brandel. Okay. Are you ready for this? These are rapid fire questions. You don't have to spend a ton of time okay. on them. I've got about five <laughs> or six of them. They're kind of all over the place. So prepare yourself. <laughs> Okay. I feel like I mean this is this is right up your alley. You you your your wit's so great. You're so quick. I think you'll be able to handle everything. All right, here we go. First one. <laughs> Who's your favorite non-golf athlete you've ever watched? Roger Federer. Nice. Nice. I think Not we're in close. agreement one for one. I, I like it. Federer, yeah. my favorite ever. You know, I've yeah. never Other seen Other than that it'd be Earl Campbell, but yeah. I've never seen Federer play tennis live, and I've decided that's my 2019 goal is to go see him play live tennis in person somewhere because it's mm, I, I feel like I, I'm, in, I'm i'm ashamed of myself for doing this being such a tennis fan yeah there's so much i enjoy about federer you know early on he he did have a bit of a temper but uh but he overcame that and uh, the grace and the class that he exhibits and um you know I, I i play tennis pretty much every day these days and i'm online looking at his methods and his strokes and um there's so much i admire about that guy unbelievable and uh and i also believe he's one of the athletes that's probably been written off the most of anybody ever i feel like this first obit was like in 2013 he's still still out there beating people up all right uh favorite girl scout cookie brand a uh, favorite girl scout cookie of choice oh god thin mints i mean i could eat my weight in thin mints um and i you know i'll buy 300 dollars worth of girl scout cookies every year and uh you know after you know, I've run out of insulin um, because, you know, I need a shot every day. I'm not a diabetic, but, uh, I mean, you eat so damn many of those. It's like, you know, I'm on a sugar high every damn day. It's like, um, but thin mints followed by uh, the peanut butter. Um, those little coconut little things with the, uh, with the, uh, the chocolate drizzle Is that what them, they're called? Those, Tag- are, those are not bad. Oh, I mean, so if good. they'll do in a pinch. Yes. They'll do in a pinch. But, um, uh, but again, the thin mints are unbelievable. A sporting event you've never attended but hope to attend someday? Wimbledon. Uh, went once, uh, tried to get tickets. It was, gosh, it was, uh, um, trying to remember who was in the dadgum final. It was, I was go, trying to go to the women's final, trying to remember who the heck it was. But anyway, it was $4,600 a ticket. There were two of us. <laughs> and on the way there, I thought, how much will I pay? Literally, how much will I pay? 
because I was like, I know the tickets are going to be ridiculous. So I was like, all right, I'll pay $3,000 a ticket. And I got there and it was like, you know, almost 10 grand. And I thought, I can do a lot of crazy stuff for 10 grand in London. Um, <laughs> I, I'm going to watch it. That's on, right. I'm going to watch it on TV. At a really nice pub. <laughs> and I'm going to have really nice pints. And it's going to cost me 100 pounds. That's exactly right. That's I think I stayed cheaper. in a really nice hotel in London that night. <laughs> All right, what's your go-to game you play with your friends on the course? Uh, well, that's a good one. Um, go-to game, what do I do? Well, I give I give uh, Eamon Lynch twelve shots around and 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 beat him every single round for by now hundreds of times. You never ask for, for more shots. Well, I I try, but he won't take them. He gets indignant when I say, "Look, I'll give you a shot a hole." Um, he gets indignant. Although we're playing this next Tuesday, and and he is taking a shot a hole, and a, if he beats me, which will not happen, I told him I could give him two shots a hole now and beat him because he's terrible. Um, he's he wants me to shave because he hates the the four day growth that I've been wearing on TV. Which, by the way, my wife likes. That's and all. Like, that's the only oh. thing that matters, by the way, on TV. Right. What do you? What do you right. like? What do? What do you like that I have on? My tie, exactly. my shirt, whatever. Like, that's it's only I would one wear person. A sombrero, if my wife liked it. I'm on right TV. there with you. You know, it's like you know, what do you like, Bailey? All right, I'm. Tr- I'm here to make you happy. Um, uh, I. I give. I give. Uh, I give my wife. What do I give her. I think I give her twelve shots too. Uh, and we were just playing at Kapalua. And she was playing really, really well. And I, I wasn't playing particularly well. And uh, on the 16th hole, I looked at her. I was like, you are playing great today. And she, I was like, how do you stand? And she looked at me, and she kind of smiled. And she goes, you're beating me by one shot. Because um, she, was, she was four over par. And I was like, holy cow. She did make a 10 on the next hole, though, by the way. <laughs> Listen, better players have done it. Tell her that every time. Better players have made double digits. That's I a, told her I'd made a 10 oh, on the absolutely. one time on TV, so it yeah, happened. It's, it's happened. All right, when you, when you tra- when, when Brandel Shambly travels, I must have blank with me. Books. Always books. Lots of them. Lots of them. Yeah, I travel with three or four. Uh, my briefcase might be close to 50 pounds. Uh, I'm not sure I could get it on a plane without having to pay a uh an upcharge um it's a it's a it's a bear to get my briefcase if you come over and try to pick it up it's full of full of books um i'm a serial reader but i'm i always have three or four with me all right i'm assuming i might know the answer to this considering what you just said but what's your most opened iphone app uh probably notes the notes app great app the notes the notes app. I am. Um, I am. Um, you know, when I read, I'm. I'm looking for ways to to think about everything. You know, different breakdowns, things that could be applicable. And if it strikes a chord with me, then I'll carry it out to a to a player or to a situation or to an idea. And then before I forget it, I write it down. Um, so on a phone on the plane, you know, I I do most of my reading when I'm on planes. And I'm I'm forever. It's like you do your best thinking when you're on a plane because you don't have your phone on. Right. And it's quiet. And it's like all these ideas just come flying through. So it's like you do get your phone out just to put um, the notes in there. 
Some that's something I learned. Uh, Paul Azinger is a big uh, notes guy. He writes down his his kind of theories and thoughts in the in the notes app, and I uh, I started to do a little well, bit of similar stuff. So I'm trying to learn from well, Paul that makes Azinger sense. and Brandel Chambly. Those are the guys. That makes sense. I'm a huge Paul Azinger fan. I think he's fabulous. Well, Brandel, uh, I appreciate it. Uh, when is the next? Uh, when's the second episode of the Brandel Chambly podcast with Jaime Diaz coming out? Do you know? It's going to come out probably in the next week. We just taped it, and uh, I'm not sure the powers that be when they put those things out. They always have some strategy in mind, probably in our run-up to the Players' Championship. I think we have some big things going on next week with the Arnold Palmer Invitational. Uh, you know, So NBC's got, I don't know, a buffet of events running up in a row here. So um, it'll come out pretty soon. Uh, it's, a, it's a treat for me to get to work with Jaime. I've I've been reading Jaime forever. I've always thought he was, if not the very best, certainly one of the best riders in the game of golf. So it's it's a real treat for me. This particular, it's funny, this particular episode is much like what we just did. The five questions that you've uh, rattled off at me, Jaime was like, can I just try to get to know you or get inside your head and ask you questions straight for an hour about you? And then that way our audience will know who you are. I was like, are you sure you want to do that? Um, but anyway, that's, that's, that's what the next episode's about. So from, uh, from pretty much all the stupid things I used to do on horseback to, uh, some of the crazy things I do now, um, on TV. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's always entertaining. I, I, I always am, uh, I'm, I'm impressed with your ability to, uh, to lean on all the research you do, uh, to provide a different look into the game. And, and I think what you do, uh, at the golf channel, uh, and, and what you continue to do kind of with the game is uh, is great for all of us. And uh, and I always love when I see the pros get a little rattled. It's my favorite thing. That's when they bring your name up. It always makes me laugh. It's like he did his job correctly this week. Uh, if Phil Mickelson is calling Brandel out. Brandel, I really appreciate it. Always a great time chatting with you, my man. Bob, Shane, thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. Real pleasure. Look forward to seeing you out on the road somewhere. It looks like I'm a wreck. It's in the hole. It's in the hole. Big thanks to Brandel for joining me today. Just a reminder, the new Pro V1 and Pro V1X in yellow available in March. In March, 17% thinner cover and a larger casting layer creates the fastest Pro V1 and Pro V1X yet. Check that out. I'm excited for the yellow ones to come in. I'm going to be playing them the moment I get them. The Pro V1 and Pro V1X from Titleist. The best ball in the world. The best ball I like. The one I play all the time. Just a reminder, bet DSI. This week, I like Sergio Garcia. Get that in if you can, plus 1,400. I mentioned how well he plays. Use that offer code BACON at betdsi.com. You get a 100% bonus match using that promo code. That's more than double your money to start winning today. Hope you guys have a great week. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. We'll be back next week with more fun and more golf chat. See you.